Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm Solomon Moshewitz, and today we're studying Masechet Eruvin Daf Gimel, Tractate Eruvin 3a and 3b. In our Mishnah, the Chachamim, the sages, and Rabbi Yehuda disagree about the maximum effective height of the Korah, the crossbeam that creates the formal separation between the Mavoi, the alleyway, and the Rishut Harabin, the public domain. On the previous daft, the Gemara attempted to base this disagreement on the dimensions of the doors to the Heichal in the temple. This attempt is now abandoned in favor of a different basis, which is further developed on today's daft. Then the Gemara discusses why two similar-sounding disagreements between the sages and Rabbi Yehuda with respect to height limits were both presented. And finally, there's a discussion of the actual dimensions of the Amah, the cubit. Citing a Braita, which relates that the Korah can be higher than 20 Amot as long as it is decorated distinctively, the Gemara concludes that the issue concerning the sages was that when the Korah is higher than that, it isn't noticeable. In order for the Korah to fulfill its function, it has to be perceived by people as separating the alleyway from the public domain. Also, they won't inadvertently wander out while carrying. Rabbi Yehuda believes that it's not perception that counts. It's that the very presence of the Korah across the opening is yored visotem, as it were, is projected downward to the ground to frame the entire opening and legally close it off. So where do the sages get the number 20? The number 20 is not rooted in interpretation of scriptural passages or citations of previous authorities, but in sivara, using your noodle. The sages estimated that higher than 20 amot, people don't notice. Sivara, reasoning, is an important source of halakha. The ruling that you should allow yourself to be killed rather than kill others derives from sivara. Is your blood redder than somebody else's? Here's a surprising fact about Sivara. Halachot are characterized as being Deoraita, Torahitic, or Durabanan, Rabbinic, and there are important legal consequences of whether a rule is considered one or the other. For example, in a doubtful case, when you're not sure whether the rule applies or not, if the Halakha is Torahitic in origin, you rule stringently, and if it's Rabbinic, you rule leniently. The surprising thing is that halachot derived from Savara are considered Torahitic, not rabbinic. Why? Because even Torahitic law has to be perceived, processed, and understood through the medium of human intelligence. And if you don't trust human intelligence, you can't trust even clearly Torahitic law. Thus, Torahitic law and Savara are products of the same apparatus. According to the sages, a Korah over 20 cubits high isn't effective. The same 20 amma height limit is found in the case of Sukkah, where Rabbah reasons that if the schach, 
the traditional sukkah thatched roofing is higher than that, then it won't feel like being in a sukkah, since the roof isn't so perceived. Rabbi Yehuda dissents here, too, and considers such a sukkah as valid. The Gemara now asks a classical question. Why relate the dispute about the 20 amma height limit for both the Korah and the Sukkah? Aren't they just fundamentally the same dispute? This type of sugya, pericope, or coherent unit of discussion, is known as Hatzracha, questioning why two seemingly similar cases of a dispute need to be both presented. The usual answer is that we couldn't necessarily be sure of the position of the disputants in the other case if only one of them was presented. A person sits for a while in the sukkah, but just passes briefly under the korah at the entrance to the mavoi, so you'd be more likely to notice the roofing on the sukkah than you would notice the korah if both were higher than 20 cubits. So, the argument goes, that if only the sukkah case were presented... Rabbi Yehuda would maintain that it's okay, but he might concede that the Korah was invalid. And the opposite for the sages. If the only the Korah case had been presented, we might think that they may concede with Rabbi Yehuda's view that the Sukkah was okay, since the occupant had ample time to notice it, even if it were 20 cubits high. Hatzracha sugyot end with the word tzricha. It's necessary. There's a wonderful pair of contradictory opinions given by Rabbah of Parazika and another such pair by Ravina. It's complicated, but stay with it. It's worth it. A structure can be okay, and then later deteriorate. And at first it appeared that the rabbis were more exacting with respect to being diligent about the maintenance of the sukkah structure than they were about maintaining the Korah structure. Rabbah of Parazika reasons that they were stricter about sukkah because a sukkah is used usually by a single or just a few individuals who might overlook the damage. But since a korah is used by the public, they all remind one another. This sounds reasonable, until later in the daf he makes exactly the opposite argument. Why does he do that? It's because Rav Adabar Matana throws a spanner in the works and proposes that the opinions cited earlier were mistakenly reversed, and in fact the sages were stricter with respect to the Korah than they were with respect to the Sukkah. So Rav of Parazika does a 180, and argues that this is because the Sukkah belongs to one individual who is sure to take care of it, but with the Korah you have the tragedy of the commons. Everybody thinks somebody else will take care of it. In support of this principle, he cites a folk saying, saying, De Amre and Ashe, or Yeshivish, De Amre Inji, people say, a pot held in partnership is neither hot nor cold. That is, each partner assumes the other partner will take care of it. Ravina goes through a similar 180 turn. When it appeared that the sages were tougher on Sukkah, Ravina explained that the mitzvot of Sukkah are Torahitic, so the sages wanted to be sure they were observed properly. But since the rule against carrying in the Mavoi were merely rabbinic, the rabbis had a more relaxed attitude toward Korah. After Rav Adabar Matana's reversal, the sages were tougher with Korah than with Sukkah, Ravina, argue, Ravina argues that people are usually careful to observe Torahitic laws, but they tend to be lax in observing rabbinic law. So you have to fortify rabbinic laws and get tough. So which is it? Did the sages enforce Torahitic or rabbinic law more diligently?
Are individuals or groups more trustworthy? Rava of Parazika and Ravina show us how to use either explanation when it's more convenient. We don't have time to review it in detail, but the end of the daf deals with the variability of the standard cubit. According to one opinion, there were two standard cubits, one comprising five hand spans, tfachim, and another comprising six tfachim. The Gemara, cleverly citing various cases, shows that adopting either the short ama or the long ama would lead to stringencies in some cases and leniencies in others, so one standard isn't inherently tougher than the other. Rav Nachman is cited as saying all cubits amot comprised six tefachim, but they were longer and shorter tefachim, referred to poetically as smiling and frowning handspans. Rava cites this opinion, Mishmei de Rav Nachman, in the name of Rav Nachman, rather than the more common, Amar Rav X, Amar Rav Y. Rav X said, Rav Y said. What's the difference? Since Rava quotes in the name of Rav Nachman, it could mean that Rava didn't hear it directly from Rav Nachman, or maybe that he disagrees with this opinion. The Talmud is nuanced in the language it uses. It doesn't use legal expressions casually. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros, from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.